In this episode, we talk about a pricing change we just announced at Less Annoying CRM. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about founders who are in it for the long haul. I'm Rick, and I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. And I'm Tyler. On the side, I work with Rick on Leg Up Health, but my main business is a bootstrapped SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. How's that soylent, Tyler? <laughs> uh, it's uh, disgusting. <laughs> Sorry, we just started recording and I was telling him how gross my Soylent is and then it cut out. So we're, <laughs> we're restarting in the middle. What is Soylent? Yeah, Soylent is, uh, it's like a douchey tech bro, a tech bro protein shake or meal replacement shake. There's nothing special about it. It's just like any other like shake you might drink instead of having a meal. But we're recording this during kind of lunchtime for me. So uh, I'm trying out this new protein Soylent chocolate shake and it's terrible so i'm gonna make all these like cringy wincing faces while we're talking here <laughs> wonderful wonderful well, what's going on in your world um yeah so if anyone follows me on twitter you probably saw this already but uh we kind of pulled the trigger on a pretty big decision at less annoying it's not called twitter anymore it is absolutely called twitter it's a- i uh i refuse to i don't even know what you're talking about rick uh <laughs> if no one calls it x it is not x <laughs> i'm digging my heels in here um yeah, so uh, I, we've talked about this for like on and off for a long time, but just to catch anyone up on context here, uh, Less Annoying CRM started out being $10 per user per month, no tiers or anything. Um, that was in 2009 we set that price. In 2020, we raised the price from $10 to $15, but anyone who signed up before that price increase got uh, kind of that legacy pricing of 10 And so for the last three plus years... Some people have been paying us $10 a month. Some have been paying us $15. And we recently made the decision to kind of announce to everybody that as of next July, which will be the four-year anniversary of the original price increase, everyone's going to $15. And can you talk through your rationale behind this and how you reconciled it in your head? Yes. Um, I I have a lot to talk about and like it's all intertwined. So this is probably going to be a sort of like unorganized, disconnected conversation, I'm guessing. But um, maybe I'll start with like, why didn't why didn't we raise it originally? Because like a lot of people I know, well, where did you stand? Did you think I should have raised it or, or like announced like, okay, we'll give you six months, but then it's going up for everybody? Or did you, were you behind the like, keep it at 10 for everybody? Um, I, 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 I didn't have a strong opinion, um, but I understood why you kept it at 10 at the time because mm-hmm. you had this strong stance for, for people who aren't aware, like there was a, a pretty strong stance by you that you would never raise prices on existing customers. Um, yeah, I, I want to be clear. We never said net like a hand, we've had four angry customers be like, you promised you would never raise prices. Like we absolutely did not, but we didn't want, we, we thought we might never raise prices and we probably made it, uh, we probably went a little overboard on messaging that that was our goal. Yeah. Yeah. So, sorry. Go ahead. So, so whether that was what you said or not, that's kind of what, what I think people heard. Yeah. Um, and, and so like that, that makes it really, I think that makes it really hard to do this. Um, and so I, I kind of like the two like very specific questions I have is like, what was the trigger point for this and how did you like justify it in your, to yourself? Um, and then how are you repositioning your pricing moving forward? Mm-hmm. So that um, you you can do this again if you have to without necessarily the the um, the backlash that you yeah. aren't really getting, but like four people is is not that many. Yeah. So the lo- the logic of not raising it 
honestly was less about we promised we wouldn't or anything like that. Because again, I in my mind, we didn't. It, if we ever made a strong, even something close to a promise, it was when we raised the prices and we said, we're not going to raise your prices. But um, we actually, we use the word indefinitely. <laughs> I'm now realizing different people think that means different things. I, if you look it up in any online dictionary, indefinitely means indeterminate. We don't know. A lot of people interpret that to mean unlimited, permanent, never. Infinitely. Infinite. That is yeah. not what it means. I, was, <laughs> I wasn't intentionally trying to use a word that people would misinterpret, but I get that that's what happened. Anyway, but the, the thought was just like, if you're growing fast enough, you can keep a, like the number of new customers post-price increase will dwarf the number of old customers pre-price increase pretty quickly. And so like getting that extra five bucks a month out of them, is it worth the goodwill if, if them loving you and feeling like you're taking care of them will lead to more $15 customers joining in the future? I think there's an argument to be made that it's actually a selfish capitalist move to honor the old pricing indefinitely as a way to buy goodwill with people, basically. So that was kind of the logic at the time, I think. I don't know. Maybe go back and listen. Someone can go back and listen to what I said on the podcast. Maybe I'm like completely changing. Maybe I'm remembering this wrong. But I think that that was a big part of it. And there is some guilt of like, I, it feels bad to raise prices on people. But are you, are you changing how you talk about pricing from a less annoying branding perspective yeah. uh, going forward? How so? Um, so we, I don't know in the past, we kind of, let me start with this. An interesting thing about having a team of people is that I can say, here's what I think our stance on pricing is. And then that filters down in different, you know, a CRM, co it's, it's possible a CRM coach did promise a customer that we would never raise prices. Cause when we did this, I learned some CRM coaches thought we had made that promise. Um, now I, I like, I went back on Slack and like saw what my communication was. And I like, that's not what I thought, but anyway, and then some of our marketing messages, different people write blog posts and this and that. Some of it was stronger and some of it was softer. One thing we're doing is we're just tightening up. Price creases are inevitable. There will be price crease, in, increases because our goal is to be around for the next century. There's no way in the year 2123, the price is going to be $15 per user per month. Um, it'll be in Bitcoin, obviously. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, never. Um, but so the, the new pricing is like, we, we will only charge what, or the new messaging is like, we will only charge what we need. We will hold out as long as we can. We've only done one price increase ever. And even in that case, we honored the old one for four years. It's, it's, it's not about we will never raise prices. It's about the pricing will be fair, basically. We, our pricing will not be annoying. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Cool. Um, I think that's good. Um, and, and what was the, why, why did you decide to do it now? Yeah. So I said earlier that the original logic was we don't need to raise prices because the new customers will dwarf the old ones. Well, anyone who's been listening also knows that during that time, our growth slowed quite a bit. So actually, even though we're three years and a, a couple months post price increase, 60% of our current users are still on the old price. Um, and our growth, like I've been talking for a year and a half now about just, we're not like in desperate financial situations, but we're getting there. Like things are trending in the wrong direction. I, I shouldn't say that we're still growing. We're not growing fast enough. Three years ago, we didn't need to increase prices on the ten dollars people. Now we do, um, and I, apart, uh, you could take away any number of lessons from this. And I've I've been thinking, like, reflecting a lot, and like, should we have just raised it back then? And I mean, knowing what we know now, yeah, probably. But I actually really like that this 
tested us to say, yeah, there is such thing as enough. If we have enough money, we won't raise prices on customers. And if we don't have enough money, we'll do what we have to do to have a you know sustainable business. And that's what changed. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Um, and and how long has it been since you announced it to your customers? Uh, we're recording this on a Thursday. We announced it Tuesday, so Tuesday. two days, and only for sort of negative, massively negative reactions. Yeah, and it was uh, honestly, it's been kind of overwhelming how nice people are. Um, so we sent it out. We didn't send it to every customer because it's just the sixty. It's the admins of the sixty percent who are on the old pricing. About eight thousand people got this email. Um, I blocked off all of Tuesday because it came from me, personal email from me, and I replied to all the replies to it. Uh, I think we got about 80 replies. Four were negative. There are a few, maybe three or four that were like, I understand, but I'm not going to pay. Like, uh, you got to do what you got to do, but I'm going to go elsewhere. They weren't mad, but they're canceling. Or at least they said, we'll see if they actually do. And then the rest of them were like over the top supportive. Um, Um. Like we had a handful of people write in just like, you know, everyone, every business is screwing over their customers. You guys are different. The way you did this is with integrity. I love how you did this. I'll pay you four times that if you want. Just charge me what you need. You know, like <laughs> it was I, the whole team. We were just, we felt so nice. It's just one of those really nice moments where customers really stepped up. That's cool. No, I, I like that. Um, now, so when's the next price increase? Yeah, probably next week. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I have no idea. I think at, f- at $15, we should be good for quite a while, but, um, I, I, so the two levers that I want to talk about, I know you probably don't want to talk about this right now, but I do are like, <laughs> how do we, how do we get a $25, $30 tier, um, and, and start pushing people that way. And then how do we get more leads? Yeah. I mean, I definitely want to, I want to talk about more leads for sure. Um, and I've, I've got a whole thing about that because, just to tease what we'll talk about later, this price increase has caused me to think differently about how we look at our metrics. And I realized some things I had been missing before. Uh, but yeah, tiers. So when we, when we went from 10 to 15 for new customers, there is a very noticeable drop off in our like new leads coming in. Um, I know if you go on Twitter and f- follow all the thought leaders, they're like, price doesn't raise your prices forever. It doesn't matter at all. And that I think for a lot of businesses, that, that's probably true. We have made a niche for ourselves appealing to people who are price sensitive. And the reality is we have fewer features than every other CRM out there. Like th- It's more than just price. It's not just price, but price is one of our big pillars. Um, and when we raised the price to $15, our lead volume dropped like b- by a third or a half or n- not a half, by probably a third. Um, it was significant. So I'm not like, I'm not looking at this like, yeah, let's keep driving up prices yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. It'd be cool. Yeah. Well, we can talk more another time, but like about this, um, I think we've, I, this was, are there any lessons, uh, around pricing too low or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you could go like you, you mentioned, like if you could go back in time, you probably would have rolled this $15 out knowing what you know now, knowing like, what I know now, yeah. but knowing what I knew then, I don't think I would. Yeah. So I guess like, is there any, any lesson that you would impart to, to uh, on pricing here? Um, okay. So uh, I'm going to ramble for a bit. Number one, uh, we set the $10 price in 2009. If you put that into an inflation calculator, it's like $14 and something cents right now. So right around 15. Um, there's two types of price increases. There's 
we want to keep the same slice of the pie we've always been taking and inflation exists. And the other type is like, we want to take a bigger piece of the pie. Or I guess maybe a third type is like our product, what you always hear in these pricing announcements, our product got so much more valuable. So the price went up. We were very careful not, that was not the reason. At, at no point in the announcement have we been like, our product got better and so it's worth more. And so that's why you're paying more because the message that sends to people is if we keep working on it, like you like you don't want us to keep improving it if that's the case. You want us to stop because that's how you keep the price the same. Um, so we were, this is a very conservative price increase. And then it's like, we're literally just readjusting to what we were charging when we launched before we like, the product was pathetic back then, you know? Yep. Yep. Um, and then I guess so, the second, so I think the take just to summarize, like, yeah. like there's like, it, it's very easy to justify inflation based adjustments versus, um, uh, sort of greed, greed, uh, you know, taking more of the, of the margin. Yeah. And, and, and I think how you commute, if, if your communication is you're paying more because the product's better, it sends a very different message. I think I, I don't have the contrapositive, but that's mm -hmm. my guess. Cool. But then I think that leads into like the bigger thing. I feel really good about this whole thing. We we left. So I, I did the math. How much money do you think people have saved in total but by us not raising the price originally? Just like ballpark. What do you think? 500 grand. Three million. What? <laughs> We've given up $3 million in revenue from this. Why? How did I do that math so wrong? So five? I think you're you're in, you're close per year, but it's been three over three oh, years. Yeah, so that was what I did it annual. Um, wow. And if you if you go it out to next year, because because the price we're giving them a nine month heads up about this, it will be three point eight ish million. If my forecast is correct, that happens to be exactly what our annual revenue is. So we've given up one full year of revenue by doing this. Now, a part of me is like, fuck, like <laughs> that was dumb, right? But another part of me is like, that's why we got 74 or whatever incredibly positive responses and four negative ones. And you like a lot of people listening might say, well, who cares? Like you can deal with one day of people being mad at you for $3.8 million, I think. But I feel really good about it. Like this is if, if, if anyone listening wants to run a business where people actually like you, I think this is how you do it kind of. Uh, I like it. It's helpful. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I The pattern that's happened time and time again is all the people who do things by the book say I should do something and I push back on it. And then two years later, I do it. And so you could interpret that to be like, I'm always wrong. But I, every time waiting that two years makes me feel more prepared to do it, wiser, when I make the change that might be in some ways worse for customers or putting restrictions on employees or whatever, the amount of goodwill and the amount of thought we can put into it. I don't know. I, I feel like lagging behind conventional wisdom and best practices has, has worked okay. <laughs> so you're saying you're a laggard. I'm a laggard. That's right. Uh, cool. Thank you for sharing. Um, yeah. I I have a million other things I could talk about here, although I don't know, like <laughs> getting bored with the topic. No, I, I love that. I love pricing topics. So um, like any other like big things before we move off of this? Yeah, like I just wrote some notes on various topics. So one was like my biggest concern actually was not how uh, co uh, employee uh, how customers would deal with it, it was how employees would because the reality is like five dollars doesn't mean anything to customers, almost all of them. But um, you know, there's this the term is the inshitification of everything in the world. Everything just like gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And I, I thought employees might worry about this. 
I gave a uh, hour long, hour and a half long, actually, probably too long of a presentation about company finances and all that to employees, and then kind of ended with, so here's the decision we have to make. We can do nothing, and we'd better get growth on track. We can do what I talked about in the um, in a previous podcast. I said, what if we add this feature, but say, if you want the feature, you got to be paying $15. That's kind of like in the middle. Or just require everyone to pay $15, and that's that. Um, and then I met one-on-one with every single employee, and all but two people said raise prices. And I was really surprised by that. Um, thrilled. <laughs> the, the, the larger issue here is like when you have employees and you you need to make cha- like operational changes uh, that uh, potentially conflict with their interpretation of the strategy and, and sort of cultural philosophy, um, then it can cause a lot of friction, right? Like, and, and so yeah. I was very worried about that. Yeah, that Thankfully it wasn't a big deal, but yeah, that, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Like, and that, that, that is not just pricing. That's anything like the more mm-hmm. employees you have, the more likely, uh, well, there's two situations. Either you have to make a strategic or cultural change because the, it's best for the customer, the business, the employees, the collective, everyone. Um, and that's a hard change to make, or you make an operational change that people think is in violation of the philosophy, but in reality, it's not. Mm-hmm. And, that, and then you've got to manage like, oh crap, like they have a misinterpretation of my philosophy and that's a larger problem. Yeah. In this case, it sounds like you made a operational change that was within your version and your head of the philosophy and the strategy. And there were few, if any, sort of uh, customer or employee sort of mis- misalignment with that. Like, Yeah. Even though I... So back to what we were saying earlier, I do think a lot of people thought we had promised to never do this. And if I went back to 2010, maybe I've said that before. <laughs> I don't think I have. But uh, even with people thinking that that was the commitment, they still looked at it and said like, yeah, this just this makes too much sense. Yeah, like it, even if even if you had to, even if you did change your philosophy here, like it was mm-hmm. just it was it was appropriate. Yeah, um, yeah that's great, cool. I, I I think that's a really important thing to to that that applies at every stage of a business. Um, it's and it, probably even more so in an early stage of a business because change is happening more. And so, like your mission, like in a in a if you're if you're into mission, vision, values, and all that kind of stuff, and you whether you call them that or not, like you do start with some version of that with their mm-hmm. first employee, and. The reality is the likeliness that you're going to have to change that at a startup more than once is really, really high or in the early days. That's a great point. And managing managing people through that and bringing them along um, is important and hard and takes effort. And if you do the right thing, generally people come along. But if you're trying to like go too fast or cut some corners mm-hmm. or you're trying to like be two people at once, be two companies at once, it, it uh, people see right through that. Yeah, when you, I think a lot of people have this like, what does the CEO do all day type of thing? And this is one of those kind of invisible things where at, at the end it was a, an hour and a half meeting. Uh, and I, I mean, I spent like three full weeks basically just figuring out how to talk about it. And if I could go back, if I were to restart a new business right now, I'll, I do a lot of things similarly to what I've done with Less Learning Serum. But one of the big things I would change is exactly what you just said acknowledging everything is going to change. I feel like in the early days, like, how did I attract the the first handful of employees being like, here's our goals, here's the tra- trajectory of the company, if you join now, you'll be the head of your team, yada, yada, yada. And what I should have, I think I could have recruited the same people 
in a more, I, I, I wasn't intentionally dishonest. I was just naive. It, it would have been much more honest to say, you're going to be in charge of this for now. I have no idea what's going to happen. There may not be a sales team 10 years from now, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Like the, 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 all I can promise you is this will be a fun ride and there's a lot of upside, um, but I can't predict the future. Yeah. And so, same thing with pricing. What I should have said, instead of being like, our goal is to maintain this pricing indefinitely, what we should have said is like, you know, we really take a lot of pride in charging as little as we can. And I think we can get away with $10 for a really long time. And we're, we're here and we're just going to work towards towards that goal. Like, I, I just leaving the door open for, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I can tell you what my intentions are right I, now. I think you and I have both got like that. If, if I compare Rick and Tyler in late 30s to, you know, Rick and Tyler early 20s, like mm-hmm. I think we're both much more like open to like not knowing. Um, uh, and being okay, like with, with like le- being very intentional about like, even our agreement with working together at leg up health was all around like this, not what, what we agree to not actually being what we end up agreeing, like what is yeah. happening and making sure that we're both covered in this, in the situation. Um, I mean, we renegotiated the deal like two weeks in, right. <laughs> And neither of us was like, oh no, this is, we were both like, oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense that the first one didn't, well, didn't work. <laughs> so, um, cool. That, 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 I love it when we talk about things that are super micro and then they expand into these like larger things. Um, I, I saw that you, um, had something in here about forecasting. Yes. Um, so this is uh, in a sense, bad, a bad outcome of this, but it's actually, um, some of my financial, so I'm not very sophisticated with finances as we've covered before. And I exposed some of that in this process and realized that some of my forecasts were overly optimistic in the past. Um, so let me run through what I'm, the, the history here. So we used to just measure user growth. You know, we have a hundred users, we have a thousand users and you could multiply that by 10 to get our MRR revenue and user count was the exact same thing. So like, whatever, look at user count. Then we did this thing where some people are paying 10, some people are paying 15. So user count is no longer mapped to revenue because over time you churn $10 users and replace them with 15, your ARPU goes up and so you're making more per user. So I started instead tracking revenue growth instead of user growth, which again, prior to that change was the same thing. So when I made this shift, I was like, I don't really need to change anything else about my reporting, about my numbers. I'm just going to look at revenue. Uh, There is an ugly truth that that allowed me to mask, which is... A lot of that revenue growth was coming from increasing ARPU, which I, I've said a million times on the podcast. I wasn't like confused about that, but I don't think I appreciated what that meant because eventually that runs out. Eventually, yeah. Yeah, so are you, are you saying that your revenue growth versus your user growth? Uh, what, there's a there's a massive difference between those two things. Uh, yeah, sort of. So like, yeah. A massive might be somewhat overstating it. Significant. But about twi- About half of our growth over the last couple of years has come from increasing ARPU. So your your growth rate on your users is 50% less than... Yeah. Wow. And if I'm being honest, like I, this was not a deliberate conscious thing at the time, but I suspect that a part of what influenced my decision to start looking at revenue is that number was going up faster. And as a founder, your kind of emotional state and happiness is so connected to like seeing a graph go up. And if I was looking at users, it was it was a more depressing graph than oh, if I'm gosh. looking at revenue. It's so true. Mm-hmm. And so I, I again, I didn't intentionally lie to myself, but I, I I bet in the back of my head I was like, oh, I'm going to look at the number that excites me to see. You know, tangent. Um, we talked about this in our partner meeting. I th- when did we have our partner meeting? Was it Monday or last Monday? 
last Monday. Monday. Last Monday. Last week. Um, yeah, it's been a roller coaster of uh, <laughs> ten days. Um, the uh, so so we, we one of the things that that one of the topics I brought into the meeting was uh, adjusting how we run the business. Right now, we run the business around sort of unit goals at Leg Up, um, and uh, so like you know J- JD like your our goals collectively we're trying to hit like. Uh, what is it? 200 clients um, on the uh, you know, consumer clients and then 20 employer customers. Mm-hmm. And that translates into revenue at some assumption. And uh, but it doesn't take into account how much we're spending. And so like there's this lack of sort of uh, alignment um, around like how we think about co- uh, capital investment, um, money investment and 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 how uh, to prioritize. Like, should we pay you know JD more or should we um, spend this money on this marketing initiative or you know, whatever, um, hire a consultant, hire a consultant. Exactly. Um, and so, um, and, and part of that's necessary in the early days because you, you don't have any profit. Um, but what, what, what I brought to the, I read a book called profit first. It's I highly recommend it. If you have, um, a business that generates revenue, because it's actually, I think very valuable to start thinking this way, um, prior to getting to the point where you have lots of profit because it, it, it's a totally different way of thinking. But the, the general gist is you, um, you, you basically, throw away the like traditional financial forecasts and you throw away just like unit uh, management and you focus on profit as your core metric and, 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 and specifically uh, setting a constraint on operating the business around distributing, distributing some amount of profit before you, uh, you know, spend any of your money. Um, and so um, what one thing that, that, that leg up is going to change, and this is predicated on us hitting a certain threshold of revenue, but we're going to, um, in February change from, um, you know, basically, you know, just this unit focus where I'm like by myself worrying about money, um, <laughs> to, uh, you know, uh, JD, um, uh, uh, and Tyler and I will, will all take a profit distribution first, um, as a percentage of revenue before we allocate money to, um, uh, other expenses, including JD salary. Um, and, uh, uh, that will, I think, have a huge impact on what we spend money on and how we think about hiring, um, as well as like, I actually think it will lead to growth, um, the right type of growth. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. tangent, but same concept. I lo- yeah, it's so easy for, you're like, we have some money, let's let's hire somebody, let's, you know, let's spend it. And if you say, no, we have profit, do we want to reduce our profit to make this investment? And sometimes the answer is yes, but yeah, it's it's not as easy of a decision when you think about it that way. No, yeah, I'm excited for that. Yeah, and it might be just be like, and just to be clear, like this is a percentage. The the, the concept is percentage allocations, um, and so uh, we'll we'll probably start with a very low percentage allocation of the revenue. Um, but the cool thing is, like, all three of us are now going. Ooh, that one percent. That one percent of a hundred is ten or whatever. I don't know what it is, but like, is that right? Did I do that right? That one percent of a hundred. It's going to be one. One. <laughs> So that'd be a thousand. So a hundred thousand rev- in revenue would be a thousand dollars a year split mm-hmm. three ways, like whatever, like that's something. Um, yeah. um, and it's, uh, you know, it's like, Ooh, you know, that, how do we make this number go up? Uh, <laughs> yeah. We, we all yeah. learn to make this number go up that changes behavior. So how do you think, uh, what are you going to focus on instead? You see users? Yeah. So there's a, a bad side and a good side to this. The bad side, again, it's not that anything new is bad. It's that I, uh, an existing bad thing I now realize. Let me start with the good thing though. So 
I am feeling so much energy around thinking about users again. And to be clear, I could have been thinking about users this whole time, but when everyone pays the same amount, it's even simpler to. And as of next year, everyone will be on $15. So like we used to have this tradition where we would on like the whiteboard wall in our office, we would write the user count and we had this whole ritual around who gets to update it. Like how, how much does the number have to change before you're allowed to update it and who gets to do it? And it was kind of this fun little tradition we had. And then we stopped because of the pandemic, like we weren't in the office anymore. But also when we came back from that, we were in this post price increase world. So we just never did it again, post pandemic. Earlier this week, I went out outside and wrote it on the wall again. And I'm just like, I kind of feel like a startup again. Like it, it, I, I'm really excited. And it's it's just like, it's more pure. It's like, fuck money. Like the money's a byproduct. Let's go get customers. Um, it just feels a lot better to focus on that, you know? I, I get it. I simpler. Yeah. Um, and it's tied to the, the end use, like, value creation versus like a dollar exactly and even more important than so that's the kind of like emotional side of it the actual like money side of it uh i've been lying to myself and i can't lie to myself with users the reality is our user count is not like literally plateaued but it's again half of our growth has been coming from something other than this so our growth is half what i thought it was and as a result so this is the type of thing like you would have never made this mistake, Rick, but I did. Uh, so I did like a decent amount of modeling about if we raise prices, what is that going to mean? How much extra revenue are we going to? And the math was like, you're going to get an extra something like 600,000 ARR as soon as you do this. And I was like, okay, we're losing about 100,000 a year right now. That'll net us 500. Great. Like we're going to be printing money. We're going to be in a really comfortable position. And then this week I like put it into, I have a bunch of different things like ways of looking at this, I put it into a different model and it's like, oh wait, but your growth is going to go from 20,000 ARR growth per month to 10 because you're not increasing ARPU anymore. You're realizing all of that growth at once instead of trickling it out over the months. And then it's like, oh, that means that surplus is going to start dropping every year significantly if, if we can't pick our growth up. Because we keep giving people raises, our expenses keep increasing. Our, right now, our growth is about break, is growing at about the same rate as our expenses, but half of that growth was fake. And so now our growth is only going to be going up at half the pace of our expenses. And so like we, when I, this makes the price increase even more necessary. So it doesn't, I, I don't regret any decisions we've made, but looking at it, I'm like, I thought we were going to be in a amazingly comfortable spot. And now it's like, we're in a more comfortable spot, but we still really have to get growth figured out. Ah, uh, man. I just like I, you know, I'm. I have a problem I want to share with you that I'm facing. JD's facing at like a health. It, it's a good problem, but like it's just just is just a reminder of just the journey of entrepreneurship is never ending problems. And you have <laughs> yeah, to even like when you've made it, there's yes. still <laughs> endless problems. You have to just like problem solving, and if you don't mm -hmm. like problem solving, this is not for you. Like, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, that's a big problem, man. It is now the the optimistic side is this. If anyone out there is listening, thinking, I don't know if I can start a business because like, I don't know about finance. I got this far being capable of making this basic of a mistake, right? So like, the it's obviously not the most important thing in the world that you're sophisticated with financial forecasting <laughs> to do this. But yeah, it's a, it's a thing we need to tackle now. Yep. Um, um, well, I want to so, talk about that, but uh, yeah. I don't know if we have time for, for, for that today. Do you, do you have any, um, any other things related to the pricing learning? I think that's... I could talk all day about it, but that's good for me. I mean, we, yeah, we've only got 10, 15 more minutes here. Uh, you, you have some stuff you want to talk about? Well, there's just one uh, 
big thing that I wanted to share. Um, and it's, it's right. Like everything's just kind of chaotic right now in my life. So I've got, you know, I'm doing a house thing. I've got a full-time job that's pretty demanding, um, but fun, uh, and rewarding. And, uh, then we've got leg of health and new baby and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but like we, we, uh, one of the pushes we're making this fourth quarter is we want to add more group health insurance customers, which is a new area for us. Um, and so we, we are enrolling our first sort of customer, uh, like it's our first, so there's two ways to get a group health insurance customer in the U S you can either become the agent on an existing health insurance plan for all of their employees. And this is a, a plan that the employer offers the employees, or you can basically go in and at the renewal time where the thing comes up for renewal and say, we'll be your, we'll quote new options. And if you go with one of our new options, um, then we'll be your, 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 your broker agent on that, on that plan. And that's what we did with this one. It was the first time that we did it. And what we, what we failed, I think, uh, what, what, we, what we are learning and we failed to over prepare for is how much harder it is to change the insurance company, change the plan and become, come in as the new broker and all the communication challenges and, uh, issues associated with that, um, and be do that remotely because JD's in Texas, uh, versus coming in and becoming a, an AOR on an existing plan and just like uploading the service. So totally mm-hmm. different animal. Um, and so JD's working through that today. He's actually flown out to Utah to deal with it. Um, <laughs> it's like, we're doing all the right things. Um, but man, it is, uh, lots of, so two, two big takeaways here. Um, one is like, depending on how you get a customer, how you like go about implementing that customer is very different based on the situation, like same service, but like the situation they're coming from changes everything. I mean, we have our own version of this where if someone's coming from Salesforce, we spend the first three months being like, no, we don't have that. No, we don't have that. No, we don't have that. Uh, Your data can't, we can import your contacts and companies, but we can't import this other stuff. If someone's coming from Excel or note, like, you know, post-it notes, we're like, everything is better about this experience, right? It's all, it's, it's the same thing. It's the exact same thing. So like when we take over a, an agent, uh, a record on a plan and come in and like start over, you know, delivering on service, um, and helping people, they're like, this is all better. Yeah. Um, and then, but like the, with this one, it's like, we're changing the insurance company. We're changing the process to enroll. We're changing the pharmacy. We're changing the doctor networks. Um, and yes, this is better for them. Like it's better for everyone. But communicating that is so hard um, because not only is this a, uh, there are kind of two factors with this customer. One, it's um, it's last minute. So we're behind the eight ball. Like everything's getting rolled out. It's a 10-1. It's, everything's getting communicated with three days to make decisions. Um, so it's like, it's frantic. The second is, um, uh, is, is, is that we are new. Um, and so like this, this is our first, we weren't the old broker making a change. We are a new broker coming in. So we are new and the plan is new. And, uh, man, it's, it, and, and then on top of that, like the decisions are made by a select few. And then, so the employees are sort of lagging behind that and choosing what information to go out of your way to share. Uh, so yeah. one, one example of this is we were, uh, in communicating this originally, we were comparing. So when you, when you, when you are on a group health insurance plan, you get a renewal. Um, and then so basically, if you don't change anything, there's two plans. There's the existing plan and the renewal plan. But the renewal plan isn't the same plan. Oftentimes, the coverage gets worse and the price goes up. 
but it's the same like plan ID. It's just it's like you just roll over to the new thing, but the new thing's actually different. It's worse and it's more expensive. Uh, yeah. That's like the standard. Uh, and and so t- employees don't understand that. They think like they, they go, I had this old thing and you're taking this old thing away from me, employer. But no, no, actually it was getting taken away from you anyway. Mm-hmm. And so w- one thing that, that we, like light bulb went off for us uh, this morning when we were reviewing this was, oh, um, when we're talking to employees, we have to compare three plans. It's yeah. not, it's not just the, the old plan and this plan or the renewal and this new plan. It's like all three of them. So you have to almost go like, Hey, let's assume first, like, let's assume we didn't change anything. Here's what would have changed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here's how it would have gotten worse for you. And so we, we basically have built a template for communicating. Like, uh, anyway, uh, the takeaway here is when you go through things for the first time in a business, you have to be prepared to learn, but you also have to be prepared to iterate um, in real time. And it's uh, there's this tension between like, we're learning and we're going to be better for the next customer, but you also have to solve the existing customer's thing. Yeah, I, The thrill of that, I just, I love it. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and I actually get like a lot of, uh, but I can tell like, JD's like, oh, this is hard. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because um, I, I mean, I assume people are upset about of course this. Yeah. They're, they're like, they don't understand. They're upset about, so it's, it's just like the pricing thing. It's like, yeah, there's so I, many parallels between these two yes, things. And it's like, oh my gosh, like we just need to like help them understand like that we effectively, we are saving them 13% and they are getting better coverage than they had. And definitely that they would have gotten yeah. if, if we had I, renewed. I mean it, yeah, it, we were talking earlier about commu- like how I communicated or whether I did it right or wrong, but thinking about like, you have to put a lot of time into communicating it to employees with the pricing thing. Um, in this case, it's it's not your customer; it's the employees of your customer that are most likely to balk at this. But yeah, it's just like any other communication. If you just go in there and you say, "Hey, we're making this change. Here's how it's gonna like. Here's what you need to do," no one has any context. If you go in there and say, "Here's the problem: health insurance keeps getting crappier. Your plan was about to get a lot worse. We've got a fix for you." I mean, just that alone probably. Yeah, does it? Uh, yes, people view just, it completely we differently. To, we skip to, "Hey, we're on a new plan. It's better." Yeah, um, we didn't say it's about to get it was about to get worse. That, yeah. and that was a critical like. Myth. It's uh, sometimes when I'm listening to podcasts or whatever, people talk about like how important storytelling is, and just that's for every single communication challenge. It's storytelling. Stories don't start at the end. You start at the beginning. You establish the scene. You create the conflict. What's the conflict? And then you resolve the conflict. Right. Yep. Yep. Totally agree. Now, and then the other thing that comes out of these customer learnings, like these early things is just like uh, product opportunities. So there's a huge, I, I, it became so apparent to me what our freemium product should do on leg up benefits. Mm -hmm. It's a survey tool for employees around benefits that is, uh, anonymized. So Mm. the hardest thing, so the hardest thing in, in that an employer has to do when they're making a health insurance decision is know what Stevie has from a medical condition perspective and making sure and a doctor perspective and a prescription perspective and making sure that they take that into account when making the plan, but they're not allowed to know that. Yeah. And so, um, and, and so like they, like if, if, if JD's dealing with, you know, the, the, the office admin and the C, the, the owner, like the, one of the biggest things that we could do to get embedded into the company is say, listen, the, you can't know this, but the first thing we need to do is we need to have you sign, create a leg up benefits account, add your employees and invite them to a survey tool that will give us us all the information 
uh, to make you feel confident you are making good decisions with your uh, on behalf of your employees. And if we had that, not, there are two things that would happen in this situation. One, we could give custom communication to every single employee on how it impacts them in particular. Mm. Um, and two, we could reassure the employer that we understand the employee's individual needs and that we have uh, a, we each individual employee is better. And if there is an exception to that, we know which employee it is, and we have are partnering in the communication and handling of that. Anyway, um, that helps with, love that. With, with both like up benefits and with uh, with uh, group health insurance. What I love about that, that like a good freemium offering is one that provides value, even if the person doesn't switch to leg up. And yeah, that's when it's like, fine, stick with, stick with your current group plan. If you want, you're, you're going to still have more information to help you make sure that you're not, you know, no one's falling through the cracks. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I like that a lot. So, um, anyway, that's all I got uh, there, but that was a big, cool. uh, that was my morning. Nice. Well, it was fun. I, I love it. Uh, and I miss it. I miss it so much. Cause like you get in these moments and you're just like, okay, that we, this sucks. We've screwed up, but mm-hmm. we can fix it. Uh, but there's just so much product and, and customer learning and juice in this. Yeah, it's I, like, ah. I'm the same way. I, I'm a little different. Like what you're describing sounds miserable to me because I hate like there's like a kind of attention to detail you have to have with health insurance that I, I don't like. But my version of this Tuesday when that email went out, I was expecting a ton of negative feedback because not that I thought most customers about the pricing would be fine with it. But the people who are fine with it aren't going to email us and tell us that. That's what I thought. I thought the only people who contact us will be angry people. 8,000 people got this email. I'm probably going to get like 100 really mad emails. And I'll be honest, I was pretty fucking stoked to go into Tuesday morning. I was like, all right, let's argue with some customers here. <laughs> yeah, you rape yourself up. You're like, yeah. let's go. <laughs> you have to. But thankfully, it was much easier than that. But I was, yeah, I, I know what you mean that there's like, life is kind of boring all the time. Like, like, if life's too easy, you're just like, eh, whatever. And sometimes like, oh, let's go do a hard thing. I know. Yeah. I know. Um, anyway, that's, that's all I got. Uh, we are, we are at leg up. We are squarely entering in busy season. And so, um, I think we'll probably shift away from top of funnel and more just focus on survival. Um, yeah, makes sense. and, uh, and, uh, I think, uh, well at the end, the, the thing I love about this business is you know, if we just show up every day and just learn and do two, 10 years from now, we're going to have a multimillion dollar business that generates a lot of cash. But like, it's going to be very weird about how we get there. It's not like this. Um, it's a very it's not a SaaS startup. It's not a SaaS startup. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I had a lot of updates this week. You're probably going to have a lot next time we talk, given uh, given that it's busy season coming up. I hope so. All right. You want to call it here? Yeah. If you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. See you next time. See ya.